The impact of what happens to that child in the arena of sexual or physical abuse as a child may stay with them and influence negative decision-making their entire life. From the sunny palms of Los Angeles, this is Bully Buster, the podcast where Rhonda Orr speaks with guests battling the bully culture. Listen to real stories and find real solutions using Rhonda's Triangle of Triumph, going from victim to survivor to leader. Rhonda is an award-winning executive trainer, columnist, and speaker. She's also served as the founder of two nonprofits addressing child abuse and bullying. Now, here's Rhonda. Welcome back, moms, to Bully Buster, Episode 11. My guest today is Police Chief Gerald Monahan. He has served for 42 years in the public safety community. His <laughs> incredible service record includes being the Chief of Police for Prescott, Arizona. He's currently the Yavapai College Chief of Police. Chief Monahan is the president of the Board of Directors for the End Violence Against Women International Organization. He's also a strong advocate for the Start by Believing campaign, which is why I am so happy to have him as my guest to discuss problems and solutions for moms in addressing abuse and bullying and how to start conversations. He's going to give us some imperative tips today that will guide moms to be a trusted adult by believing their daughters. Welcome, Chief Monahan. Thank you for being here today. It is such a pleasure. Thanks for the invite, Rhonda. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak. Thank you so much, Chief Monahan. I know that when I was younger, most of us did not talk with our parents about sex, let alone sexual abuse. Since sexual assaults are at an all-time high with the Me Too, it's so important to talk with moms about how are they going to talk to their kids about their private parts, even at a young age? How do we start those conversations? That's a great question. And as parents, we cringe at the idea that our children would be victimized in this way. And we saw this with the Dr. Larry Nassar case where those young athletes tried to report to others, including their parents, what would they believed was happening to them, and simply they were dismissed. Because we as a society, and we parents in particular, struggle with the idea that our doctors and others that we trust would be predators. And so you have the outside predators that we have to be mindful of, and then of course, those possible family members or acquaintances within the family, friends that would also try to take advantage of our young people. So having the conversation and at least assuring your children that it's okay to tell and that if they do, they will be believed is very important. I certainly agree, Chief Monahan. I didn't say anything about my childhood abuse to anyone until I was 36. I believe it's imperative to tell children they must tell a trusted adult if they are abused and then be that adult that the child can trust. Parents can teach them with directness and appropriateness. That's what I tried to do for my son. 
How do moms make those conversations effective? I think our society continues to be sexualized. So at a young age, on social media and television, children are hearing sexual messages, whether it's intentional or not, they're picking up on it. If a parent is willing to have a frank conversation with a young child and maybe even use the dolls or other model that exists in that conversation, if children are given permission at a young age to avoid, then maybe we've stopped the impact of holding it in all those years that individuals like yourself and others, and that's a very common story that we hear that these young victims didn't tell anybody for years, and yet it was right there the whole time. So the impact of not telling can be detrimental. I think parents uh, need to assure their children that they have permission to tell in whatever form that looks like. Maybe it's a nonverbal reporting. Worse than happening to yourself is when it happens, of course, to your child. Can you share how you dealt with that? My oldest daughter's marriage, it's been over now for a number of years, and she's given me permission to talk about it. We were never aware of physical abuse, but it was clear something was going on that was pushing her spirit out, putting the flame of her life out. And ultimately ended, what kind of brought it all to a head was a phone call to me from my ex-son-in-law where he basically told me he was going to kill my daughter. And this was over a bill that had called the house that, of course, in a emotionally abusive relationship, it's certainly her fault that the bill collector called the house. And that's what ultimately led to their separation. But I always wonder, why would somebody think that that's a solution to the problem? I mean, my ex-son-in-law was arrested. He was charged with making the threats. And he'll live with that for the rest of his life. I struggled with what went on there to make him think it was okay for him to call me and I honestly believe it was probably this, he, he was thinking this man-to-man kind of a relationship and that my reaction would have been to call my daughter and tell her to get her act together and pay the bills on time, that I would have supported him. But parents have to be ready to stand with their children, to believe in their children, to reassure their children that there's support there for them when they verbalize what is happening to them. And I'm talking either children or adult children. If they come to their parents for support, then I think that's a good thing. And not be blamed when they come. Not be criticized and blamed for anything they've done when they come, but just to be stood with and believed and help them make decisions that are in their best interest in their own safety. It's so great when a child knows they'll be believed and believed in. How can parents let their children know they'll be believed? I I think it can't be just a one-time action. The relationship that parents build with their children, it has to be a consistent messaging that that parent is there for that child. And not just in an instance where they're being abused, but how does that parent interact with that child on a regular basis? Is there a relationship of trust 
and bonding that exists there that would support that child feeling they're able to come forward and report a victimization? Or is the relationship already strained where maybe that child has to act out and somehow not verbally report it, but act out in a way to get the attention needed for an intervention? One of the early mistakes I made in my law enforcement career was of a 14-year-old young person who had run away from home. The officers had found her. We brought her to the police station, and her parents were contacted. And this 14-year-old girl was adamant that she was not going home. She would scream and throw a fit in the lobby of our police department. And I, I didn't recognize then that there was something else going on there that she was trying to get us to see, but she wasn't saying it. And I've since learned, and there's a statement out there that says, please hear, in fact, there's a book, please hear what I'm not saying. Perfect. And I think that is so true in the arena of sexual assault and child abuse. And listen, in between the lines is significant for parents. I was teaching a girl who was 13 and in one of my civility leadership academies, and I was saying what I always say, report, report, report bullying until an adult does something about it. This girl told me she reported her bullying to her mom, and she was grounded for three weeks. So what is the best avenue for the girl that it has that type of shaming family. We talk a lot about trusted adults and how a trusted adult can be a part of a child's life. I had a DARE officer work for me when I was with a, a department. And this DARE officer provided classroom instruction to the fifth graders at the school we were in. And he set up a mailbox for confidential communication between the students and himself. And uh, Rhonda, he had three different students slip him a note in this mailbox confiding in him that they were being molested at home. Uh We were able to prosecute two of the three cases, but the point was those young people found someone they could trust with their secret. I know it's, it's probably a challenge if the parents are not the ones that can be trusted, but if a young person can have someone they trust in their life, then they've got that outlet, be it a teacher, a counselor at school, a neighbor, those could be so valuable for a young person to be able to to tell their secret to when their own parents won't uh, do it or won't believe them, or are the perpetrators of the violence or the sexual abuse. You are so on target because we know that 93% of sexually abused children know their perpetrator in some way. That's out of one in four girls who are sexually abused and one in nine boys. So what signs does a mom look for so that her daughter is believed? So a parent that, say, especially a single parent who is raising children and all of a sudden, an individual wants to become a part of their, their lives, so to speak. I think there are some red flags that a parent could watch for. The inappropriate comments 
that may be made by a new person into that family towards one of the children, comments or behaviors around the young person that the parent in their gut feels uncomfortable with, inappropriate either what was said or what was done, wanting to be alone with the young people. Parents have a duty, I think, to be very mindful of who they allow into their children's lives. And if the parent is trying to do the right thing, I think we know enough in our society that a predator will try to capitalize on the needs of that family and be the savior. But when they get that child alone, they're telling that child that if they tell anybody that it'll hurt the mom, if they tell anybody, all these bad things will happen. So they swear that child to secrecy because they've set themselves up as the savior of that family. And I think parents need to be very mindful of that and just don't view that as innocence uh, because there's too much of it in our society that suggests it's predatory. And not to leave them alone, right? What you're saying is if, if there's any kind of interpretation where you feel like that person wants to be alone with someone else that is questionable. Yeah, until that parent has vetted their adult relationships who are going to have access to their children, then you're exactly right. There should not be opportunities to be alone with those children until that parent knows beyond a shadow of their doubt that that person is trustworthy. My youngest daughter, before she met and married her husband, she would Google individuals that she may have an interest in. And oh, good for her. She did her own little background check. You know, whatever public information is out there, you know what? In our society today, there are ways to, to look into somebody's past. And I would encourage that for anybody. And if somebody says, well, don't you trust me? Well, it's like, do you not watch TV and the news? Give me a break here. Of course, I'm going to take this added step to protect my children. And if an adult says, why don't you trust me? You know, maybe that's the person to make sure you don't trust. If a child is acting out, running away, or withdrawn, I mean, I know I ran away at age 12. Those are big signs. Like when you said your daughter and her spark and spirit weren't the same, then something is very wrong. What other red flags should we be looking at? That's a great point because if they see that, and they, they may act out in other ways that aren't necessarily sexual, but the idea that they're acting out in ways that all of a sudden seem inappropriate, that's a huge red flag. One of the things I would encourage, you know, especially a single woman, if she begins a relationship and there's evidence of any type of coercive behaviors you know, the individual is now wanting to monitor their time. They're wanting to isolate them from other contacts. They're, they're wanting to control all the money. These behaviors are not necessarily illegal, but in my mind, they're a quick red flag that if there's coercion towards one, there could be coercion towards others in the family. And if that predator is interested in sexual activity with one of the children, that coercion will also exist towards that child. And it may be outright threats of violence or threats to the parent if the child tells. So the child now is sworn to secrecy to protect mom. 
any evidence of coercion, that is not a healthy relationship. There was a sergeant with the Phoenix Police Department, and he was in charge of the domestic violence unit for the Phoenix Police Department. And he made a statement at a training that stuck with me about what a healthy relationship should look like. We were talking about coercion, and he made the statement that his wife gives him an allowance for lunch. What? And you know, there, was kind of this, there was kind of this silence oh in the room, like, well, wait a minute, isn't that, isn't that financial abuse? And, and then he said, we reached that decision together because she's the better financier. Now, that is different than the coercion where somebody says, give me the paycheck, and then I'll give you your allowance. Well, bullying and abuse are actually about control and power, maybe different in the law. But from my years of having therapy, I know I chose all the wrong men, probably because of my childhood abuse, until I met Scott, my normal husband, who is very loving and caring. You know, he's someone that doesn't even understand gaslighting, much less how to apply it to anyone. I know when I tried to talk with my then young son about abuse and bullying, it was tricky to not terrify him. I know your daughter was an adult when she was harmed. How did you go about talking to her about what she needed? Well, in, in our case, she actually re-found her foundation, but she probably lived with, with me for four years in that rebuilding and she now is in a relationship, and she had swore she'd never get married again. <laughs> but she's found somebody who treat each other as equal partners. And they've been together now for a year and a half. And they're talking about getting married. And so at age 40, her life is taking off again, and she'll be able to bloom once again. You know, Rhonda, we parents, many times we have our own struggles. Life certainly throws the stress bomb at all of us. But a parent that is committed to raising their children to the very best of their ability, we've got to understand that the impact of what happens to that child in the arena of sexual or physical abuse as a child may stay with them and influence negative decision-making their entire life. They put that child uh, on a course of, of possible destruction. I taught at an all-girls, all-therapeutic boarding school. And I taught my Civility Leadership Academy as a life coach. And there were 74 of them. Almost all of them had been sexually abused. What happened to many of them is they became an addict. And they weren't capable of supporting their children. That generational cycle just keeps going on and on. When I had my son at age 34, I decided it's going to stop with me. And I'm going to be very frank and direct and upfront with my son. And I'm going to talk to my son about how to treat women. I used to say, you're going to be a gentleman if it kills me. Well, <laughs> so, I have to report, yes, he is a gentleman. <laughs> so he, he grew up well. What do you think happens to the moms who had the same thing happen to them and then their child has something happen to that child by the same type of abuse? 
you bring up another issue altogether with uh, those victims that choose to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. We see that in particular teen sexual assault where they're not believed, where they have no professional support or, or personal support and their life begins to just spiral downward. And then Rhonda, you and I know this, uh, but how many of these girls that have faced that kind of victimization ultimately went on to commit suicide? I mean, their life basically ended because they found no support at all. And that's just such an injustice, not only for we as a people, but in particular, if it's a parent or a trusted family member that chooses not to believe when that young person reports. The time to establish that trust is early on. It's unfortunate many times parents don't turn to help until their children are older and they could have benefited from programs like yours that you offer and any number of of other resources out there when children are young so that they're ready. Absolutely. There are many successful drug and alcohol treatment centers today. Well, my own journey created our triangle of triumph, going from victim to survivor to a leader, at least, you know, of their own self. When I finally figured out that I didn't have to stay a victim, and being a victim isn't your fault, but I realized my mom was also a victim, and so was her mom my favorite grandma, my mentor, even though they dealt with victimhood very differently. I realized I can choose not to stay a victim, and I can make this generational cycle of abuse and bullying stop with my son. It was my first mission. When most abuse is cyclical, what can the victims do? The professional services, counseling, therapy, Certainly, I I would encourage anybody that's needing those services to take advantage of them. You know, the program you just mentioned, the Triangle of Triumph, those participants didn't get what they needed, but by participating in that program, when they do become parents, they will be informed parents because they participated in a program that they themselves didn't benefit when they were uh, younger. So I think by having programs like that out there, by having the Start by Believing campaign out into a community and being... Uh, oh, I love what you did with that. Yeah, and being talked about and then just encouraging folks that if it does happen within your family or to you, find the, the, the support, find the help, find the trusted adult or find the, the source that is going to help you get through this and get back onto uh, a quality of life beyond the abuse The core of our program is being more than a survivor. When I was being applauded for being a survivor, I just felt like I existed. So that's the stage, being a survivor, when you get to define yourself before others do with our five C's, civility, confidence, courage, creativity, or that's the talent development part, and communication. You know, Chief, I am so thankful for your leadership as a national leader and advocate for overcoming victimhood and making your life purposeful and one of giving back. Can you tell me about them? Like the National Center for the Prevention of Community Violence and the Kipper Group, and also the Green Zone. 
the National Center for the Prevention of Community Violence and the Kipper Group, we offer programs to schools and to parents to deal with issues around bullying and coercive behavior. We hear from uh, all over the country. Parents will tell a story about their child. But we also hear some great success stories with uh, programs like the Green Zone, where it's built around the idea that we can influence, that a peer can influence their other peers to engage in positive, civil, respectful behavior through a recognition award system. The behavior that's positive is called out more than the discipline that's meted out for the bad behavior. Or peer courts. Yeah, there, there's some great ways to do that. But yeah. what you had mentioned just before you asked that question, though, your programs instill worth. You show that child that they have worth as opposed to the child that feels that they are worthless. That's so important for people to overcome adversity. They have to see themselves as being deserving. And, and I love what you offer, Rhonda, because that builds that into those young people. That'll help them with resiliency. That's so very true. Being resilient is the number one key to moving forward so a victim doesn't suffer from all the many traumas like PTSD. I've been in schools to teach the Triangle of Triumph program and civility. I call it Civility Ends Bullying. And I've seen bullying happening right underneath the Be Kind poster. If a child learns to define themselves with values that help them to be caring, considerate, and have courtesy, yes, you know, manners <laughs> towards others, and serve them like sharing internal talents, for instance, being a nurturer, or external talents like dancing and sports and so on, they acquire self-worth. Then they can look bullies in the eye and say, stop bullying me and walk away and, you know, not communicate the way that they normally do with their heads low and holding one arm for security. Those vulnerability habits showing all the pain they're in and instead build on their successes. I agree with you. Positive peer structure and values make all the difference in the world. The entire culture and climate of a, of a school has to embrace that kind of an attitude because if you've got a poster that says be kind and yet bullying still going on, then it hasn't permeated the culture. It hasn't changed the environment. So a child's going to struggle if they're in an environment where reporting is not taken serious or if reporting results in a negative that adds to the problem and, and retaliation as opposed to a positive solution, then they're going to be less willing to report. I do like the idea of anonymous reporting for children that they can report in a way that doesn't single them out, but that doesn't fix the culture necessarily. That's, the school system has to be a culture of kindness. And that's the principal, the administrators, the counselor, the SRO, the, the faculty. And then the children can, can see the examples of kindness at all of those levels from the trusted adults. And they can begin to embrace it in a safe way, knowing that it's for real and not just a poster on a wall. My oldest granddaughter has Ashburgers, And she went through the Santan School District down south of Phoenix from K to 12, we went to her high school graduation. She is socially different. It's noticeable. 
And we were always concerned that, you know, there would be instances of her being singled out and bullied. But the school district there didn't take her out of her peer class. They did look out for her. They had individuals assigned to watch for her. And Rhonda, we are not aware of one instance of bullying from K to 12 for that girl. And she is now going to be a senior at Northern Arizona University in the fall. Fantastic. That is such a great success story. Yeah, I, I remember at graduation, I went to the superintendent and thanked her for what her school district had done for my granddaughter. We know there's good work being done out there, but you and I both know there's also school districts that could use some help. Chief, what is your final message to adults about teaching and reporting bullying and abuse? As, as young as possible, take the role of parenting so seriously and set a goal for your family to practice the healthy traits of a family at, to the very best of your ability and build trust with your young people so that they know if something bad does happen, that you are the one that they come to. And some traits of a healthy family, uh, and I saw this written out one time, and you look at it and you think, wow, that's perfection. Well, as a parent, we, we strive for that. We want a perfect family, but we know that may be a lofty ideal, but things like shared responsibility, teaching respect, affirming and supporting all the family members, not putting down one adult or the other. Coercive, abusive partners are constantly putting down their partner in front of the children. And that, that has a huge impact on the psyche of the children because they're going to think, well, I don't want to tell that parent something because they can't do anything right. Family mealtime, put the phones away, put the television away. <laughs> That's my favorite. You just mentioned my favorite thing to do. What an opportunity. It is. Bring everybody together. Because then they get to know each other, even their siblings. One other thing a parent can do with children is apologize when they're wrong or when they have an outburst that's inappropriate. When a child sees the parent at that level, they know that that's a parent they can come to when they have to apologize. That can build trust in a way, I think, that is unique to being able to tell people something. Because if I'm afraid to tell mom or dad something because they'll get angry, or if I've done something wrong and I know they'll get angry, I'm, I may, I'm gonna lie. I'm going to go down the, the deception path. That is why kids lie. There's been statistical reports that say that. That's the big number one reason why children lie, is they don't want to get in trouble. And then the other thing for parents, Rhonda, is please understand there are programs like what you offer. There are professionals out there that are competent, that can help get a family on the right track. And it's not always the criminal justice system. Right. The Me Too movement has created an impact independent of the criminal justice system, even though the, it has also impacted the criminal justice system. There's many victims out there that will not engage criminal justice that still need support and understanding and recovery, even though their abuser will never be held accountable by the system. I so appreciate your hard work to help change our culture to one of more empathy, 
love, and unity. How does someone get in touch with you and all the great activities and programs you're involved with? You bet. So if they would go to www.ncpcv.org, and that stands for the National Center for the Prevention of Community Violence. And our, our saying is just this, that violence is a process, not an event. And our goal and our hope is to intervene in that process to stop it from becoming an event at its earliest possible time. And the conversation we're having today, Rhonda, we're talking about young children. We're talking about in school, kindergarten, first, second graders. Let's, let's intervene in a way that they never have to experience an event of violence. I would just encourage folks to take a look at the website. All of our programs are there and the contact information is available there as well. Thank you so much, Chief Monahan. I appreciate you coming on the show and taking your time. Always good to talk to you, Rhonda. I have been fortunate, so fortunate, to have Chief Gerald Monahan speak for my former nonprofit, Rhonda Stop Bullying Foundation for Girls, at several events. He always demonstrates his deep desire to support efforts to end bullying and abuse, especially where our young women and their moms or guardians are concerned. My top takeaways today are threefold. Number one, violence is a process, not an event. The goal is to build healthy relationships where you are the trusted adult. Start by believing, teaching, and being the very best example to your child or student, even if they're as young as kindergartners, first or second graders, so they know if something bad happens that you are the one they come to. Number two, parents have a duty to be mindful who they let into their children's lives. Inappropriate comments and behaviors that make you feel uncomfortable in your gut should be a big red flag. There is nothing wrong with vetting people who will spend time with your kids. Number three, just as Chief Monahan had a D.A.R.E. officer who created an anonymous mailbox for confidential communication between the students and himself, you need to make it happen at schools, at dance studios, and in the coaches' offices. Thanks for joining us today with Chief Monahan. You can find more information about him and the Start by Believing campaign in the show notes at bullybuster.com. U.S. slash Chief. That's a great place to find more information along with our Triangle of Triumph and subscribe to our show. It's all at bullybuster.us or write me at Rhonda at bullybuster.us. I'm Rhonda Orr. Until next time, let's build civility for a new generation. Go to Rhonda's website, bullybuster.us, to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. That's also where you'll find information about having Rhonda speak at your event or school. It's all at bullybuster.us.